So a couple of teachers um, of mine, they were really, they were members of the party and they really believed in what the party said and it was, yeah, I, I felt sorry for them um, because they had really lost their whole kind of view of the world, probably. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. Today's episode is different. The interviewer is not me, but one of our listeners who contacted me to help produce content for the podcast. This gave me the idea for a new area of the podcast called Cold War Contributions, where listeners can send in audio interviews for broadcast on the show. Email me at ian at coldwarpod.com if you are interested. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, then from the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can really make a difference. Click on the support the podcast menu option at coldwarconversations.com. Thank you so much to our latest patrons, Alexandru Marius Farrell, Adrian Kantich and Mervyn Piesa. If you like what you're listening to, you can really help us by leaving reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, our Facebook page, or with your favourite podcast provider. This really helps raise our profile and get new guests on the show. James has been a fan of the show from the start, and in this episode he speaks with a work colleague who lived in East Germany. We give a warm welcome to James, our latest host on Cold War Conversations. So, welcome to the Cold War Conversation podcast, Nina. Thank you very much, James. So, you were born uh, in 1973 mm-hmm. in the east of Germany, yes, very close to the Polish border. That's right. And what was that like as a place to have an upbringing? It was lovely, to be honest. Um, I had a very happy, quiet, quite boring, probably, childhood. And in terms of your parents, who do they work for? They worked for one of those um, typical agricultural companies, um, which were all over the place. And the, the, you remember you saying earlier that they there was a company bus, and they, they used to take you on trips into into Poland from quite an early age. Yeah, Everything yeah. Everything was sort of state sponsored, and that you got up to lots of no good doing that. <laughs> That's right. Um, they took us for Christmas parties, for example. They took us to Berlin to the capital to to see some shows, um, or they took us um, to to the summer camps in Poland or further down in the mountains in, in, in the GDR. So, yeah. And were these always sort of fun camps, leisure camps, or did you have yeah. to work on them? Well, there were work camps as well, but they were separate. They were more from school. Right. They were organized by school, but yeah, work camps as well. Sounds a bit scary, but um, we did work there a little bit. Well, so and what did you do? <laughs> um, we did some painting, and others we did some um, strawberry picking, those kind of things. Didn't you say that you ran out of paintbrushes or paints or something? Yes, that was in Poland um, one year. Um, we were supposed to be painting a lot of um, buildings or fences or something, I can't even remember. Um, but we did run out of paintbrushes or didn't have enough for us, so only half the group could work in the morning and then the other half had to work in the, work in the, in the afternoon and the other group just slept or just looked into the sky or... Something. That's what teenagers do, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> regardless of the country in which they are. 
And um, these, these, I know that you mentioned before that you were quite musical mm. and yep. that you had the chance to go on various music camps. Mm. And did they take place in their home or did you have to travel to go and do those? Um, the music schools were separate from school. So people who were interested in learning an instrument or sing, as I did, um, they had to go to special music schools and uh, were educated there. I, I went to music school twice a week for three hours a week for some classical singing and music theory at the time. Is that something you kept up afterwards? When I lived in Australia, I started again. Um, I did it for a year or so, but it was just all too hard to get done with school. And, and you can't sing that loud anymore if you don't have your own house. It's a bit embarrassing to sing in an apartment. Um, opera? <laughs> Shame. <laughs> That's fine. And at school, so you started off, presumably with your parents at work, you were looked after in the state-run nurseries. Do you mm-hmm. remember any of those? Yeah, they're still there. They, they still look the same. Um, you, yeah, you, everyone was there. All my friends um, started, I don't know, at six months or something, because um, our mums went back to work quite early. And then we went first to nursery, then to kindergarten, and then all together to school. That's cool. And when you go back now, mm. your parents, you mentioned your parents still live the there. Yeah. Does it all look the same? How much has it changed? Um, no, it looks different. Because um, the, um, all the apartment buildings which I had there, yeah. they are now painted in pretty colours. They didn't have paint before. Um, then they have all those fancy supermarkets now, the big ones, um, which are everywhere. Um, they have nice doctor's buildings and mm. A nice big uh, sports hall and sports grounds, those kind of things now, yeah. So I guess the shopping experience from the GDR shopping, yeah. <laughs> from the West End was, was something completely different. Yeah. It's probably easier to, to get all your things now in one go. Yes, okay. Yeah. I can imagine, I can imagine. So what day did you start school? Uh, seven. Quite late in, in Germany, you start very late. And before then you were at kindergarten and hmm. then you started yeah. at seven. Yeah. You tell me about your school time, because you were clearly you were at school up until you were 16 mm. uh, inside the GDR, yeah. and so you went very much through that system. Mm. What I do did. you remember of that? Um, I loved school. Um, I, I loved to go to school. Um, I, um, the, I, I had the same teachers. Um, all of them lived in, a, in, the, in the village. Um, everyone knew everybody, which was not always um, great, because... Um, Teachers always could grab your parents and just tell them what you did in school. But um, it was nice. I I liked all the, well, most of the subjects, not science so much. But um, we all um, became, you know, pioneers and members of the Freideutsche Jugend, Free German Youth. Yeah. It's a bit funny name because yeah. it wasn't that free. <laughs> Why wasn't it free? Well, we were in the GDR. We were not really free. And you were obligated to do certain things. You had to, yeah. It, well, there were people who didn't um, become members of the pioneers in the um, Freideutsche Jugend, but um, they were mostly very, very, very religious. Yeah. Otherwise, um, you really wouldn't probably. And was it allowed for them not to be part of that if they were religious? Was, was that accepted? It was sort of accepted, but then they. They were not allowed to take part in certain um, 
activities we did mm. together. Um, so uh, yeah, they were they were allowed, but so there's a quid pro quo. If you joined, yeah. you could you could enable you to yeah. do something. What, what sort of things, being a member, could you do that you couldn't have done if you weren't a member? Things like going to tri- on on trips to museums or. Um, just visit a company or going to a gallery or those kind of things. I mean, our I think our school was pretty relaxed about things, and I only knew really one person in the school who wasn't a member of the pioneers, but it was a bit more relaxed probably than another part. So, were there rebellious youths? Was there you know was, was there a cadre of teenagers who were like there are today? You know? No, I I don't think so. Everybody um, towed the line, more or less. More or less, probably, yeah. But yeah, no. Lots of lots of uh, things happened outside. Cause I remember I spent so much time outside after school. We went, I don't know, um, to the sports ground or just hung out um, somewhere to listen to music or. And what was music listened to? Was it? Uh, oh, Western? that was that was totally Western music. I. Don't think I knew any East German music because no one was listening to East German music at all. So how do you get hold of the Western music? We had access to radio and TV. Okay. And so you would sit there on the whenever the charts were on, you would just record them. Right. The the radio shows. Onto cassette. Onto cassette. So in many ways, not different to what was <laughs> in the eighties and anywhere else in the world. <laughs> exactly. Trying to make sure that the DJ wasn't heard and you just got the music. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Lady <laughs> Childhood. <laughs> But we had those weird rules. Um, when you had discos at school, um, they were supposed to play 80% East German music yeah. and 20% West German or West Western music, which never worked because no one, really no one knew East German music. And no one cared and no one wanted it. So. Did everybody sit out on the sides when they were playing East German? It did German not stuff? happen. There was no. a rule, but it did not really happen in a way, you know. So were there rules that were there around you at school? Did you work out quite quickly what you had to follow and what you could avoid? Probably, I think, you know, when when you think about um, how we got brainwashed, um, I think it was so young, it, it, it did not really register in, in many cases. Just you hear it everywhere, you read it everywhere. It's just, um, it's there, but it's not. Influencing it too much. But looking back on it now, yeah, do you feel that you were brainwashed? Oh, a few things were really bizarre. Like, um, I think I told you about the military um, education we had at school when we were fifteen. I think everyone really, absolutely everyone hated it because it was this guy coming in from from the army, um, just educating on what about what the um, East German army did, and they tried to recruit. Um, the, the the boys from our school already for twenty years or something. It's yeah, that's annoying. It was, <laughs> it was annoying. Didn't you tell me that you did a deal that if you did, went to the military camp, you got oh, a different your, one. Your that's motorbike good. license. <laughs> Is that right? That's right. But that's a different thing. Um, there were lots of those um, what are they called societies for sports and technique or something like that, and there were different ones. There was um, diving in some areas, then um, our case it was shooting, sp- sports shooting, and we joined that club or society um, 
for a year or so to be able to um, take our driving lessons very cheaply. So yeah, you would go there once a month or something like that um, and do some shooting. Quite effectively playing the system then. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and at school, when you look back at school, and um, I know you have a son in, in school in the UK, what do you notice the differences between the school system in East Germany where you grew up and the UK where your son grows up today? Um, hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. I think it was a bit more strict for us from a, from a much younger age. So when I see, which I like much more, what, what I do here, it's so much nicer um, that I actually play for the first two years almost, um, or it's more like a nursery, kindergarten kind of setting. That wasn't um, the same for us. Um, and we had to go to school on Saturdays as well. They don't do that here. Um, but we had we were looked after from morning till afternoon. Um, it wasn't as hard to organize. If I'm a working mum, so it's hard for me to, you know, um, have childcare and yeah. all those kind of things. Um, I think that was much much easier. Um, purposely done in a GDR for for. Um, women, there was just a system to 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 help them to support them with their childcare. Do you think that was done for reasons of equality or for reasons that they wanted as many hands in the workforce? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hands in the workforce. Yeah. yeah. And I read a lot uh, about people growing up in the GDR about the the collectivism. So that you would go out and you'd collect things, you'd collect recycling, mm. you'd do the milk deliveries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Did you do that? Oh yeah. Oh, and did you feel that you yeah. had to do that, or did you want to do that? Was it, did you not even think about it? It was just part of normal day life. No, we had to do that, but um, that was fun on a Saturday morning. I'm just going um, through a village and knocking on people's door and ask for their recy- recycling. Um, and old people were very, very um, thankful for us to um, pick it up, and then we took it to the recycling. Um, depot and got money for it and a lot of times it went towards some I don't know um, trips but sometimes it also went to some place like Africa which we wanted to support so you didn't keep the money no no, no. you collected the money that went into a big pot here okay and yeah in the western world today there's the broad theory that the harder you work and the cleverer you work, the more you can earn. Did that exist as a sort of concept in GDR? I don't think so, no. I don't think so. Um, well, I haven't worked there really, but um, I couldn't really comment much on it. Um, but no, I don't think so. Okay, interesting. 
And so you went through school, you were uh, members of the pioneers and, and so on and so forth. And in your spare time, you said you spent a lot of it outside, mm, watching yeah. Western TV. Yeah, of course. And uh, you never were aware of the state and the state apparatus. For you, it, was quite, it seems like quite a normal childhood. It, you know, when I watch things like um, Deutschland 83 and Deutschland 86, um, you wouldn't have known um, certain things that I tried very hard to um, raise money by shipping weapons to yeah. weird countries and those kind of things. Um, and I never felt that there was nothing to eat, for example, in the shops. Maybe it was different to other places because we lived in a village, so everyone had gardens and um, you could live off your own land. But yeah, um, yeah I, I never noticed those kind of things at all. And when you look back now, again as an adult, back to mm. that time, uh, and your parents, my guess is it was your parents that found it harder to adjust. Definitely, I, to I really post-GDR yeah. world than you did. Totally, um, they were in their early forties, um, and they didn't know anything else. They had to start completely over um, when the war came down. Lots of people got um, made redundant, and the companies just disappeared. The whole, whole, whole. Um, Jobs, kind of like like the types of jobs that it um, disappeared. So, um, and then they had to do this weird um, educational programs, which were not really useful, I'd say. <laughs> when the war came down, mm-hmm. yeah, designed to integrate you and yeah, the, yeah, where they were wrong. That was I don't know if that really helped. Um, for me, it was totally, totally different because I've never had to work in the in the. Um, East, well, no, well, I never had to work really in the East German um, world. Um, for me, it was actually good. I think I'm, I'm still really happy that that it um, happened like it happened. And did you feel that then the experiences that you had when you were growing up after 16, after mm. 1989, you couldn't share with your parents because they wouldn't understand? No, I think they were. They were probably glad that it was so easy for us, that we didn't have to suffer as much as they had to, suddenly. And they had to, you know, they, there were lots of discussions on, um, um, oh, oh, comparisons. The, the West Germans, they, they said, oh, the East Germans are also lazy. The East Germans said, oh, they have no idea what we, what, how it all worked. And it was very strange for, for years. It's probably still a bit of, that there are a lot of people are very bitter. So, bitter in the East? Yeah, definitely. Because of the stereotypes the Western Yeah, yeah. You think that's why we see the rise of many of the more extreme parties mm. in, in East Germany? Yeah, guess so. Because of yeah. that, because they feel disenfranchised mm. by the, yeah. the political system now. Yeah. And in terms of your, your parents, did they stay at work throughout the transition? Did they? No, they, they lost their jobs. A lot of people in the, in the village actually lost their jobs. I think that's what people find so interesting is that one day a system and a state existed, mm. a way of life existed, and that way of life dissolved literally within the space of 12 months mm. and it was gone. I think people find that really interesting because it's hard to imagine that happening here and now where everything yeah. seems so pervasive and you can't imagine it disappearing. Yeah. It yeah. wouldn't do. 
Well, the buildings are actually, a lot of the buildings are still there and um, they're just falling apart now. And sometimes I drive past and it's strange because um, it was a beautiful, beautiful, we had all those um, Christmas parties there. We had, um, there were lots of concerts in the in the gardens and seeing it like this is pretty, pretty sad. So is your school still there? My school is still there, but that's still in operation and the kindergarten is still there everything is still there it's not what it's called anymore but it doesn't have a name anymore but um yeah it's still there as it was how do you feel when you go back now um i don't know it's it's just not it's just not not the life it used to be it's almost a little bit like i'm visiting something Completely different. Completely different, yeah. Do you find yourself looking for bits of the old town that you knew? Bits that haven't changed? Not really. A lot of things haven't changed in the village. It's a village after all. Mm. Um, but, um, no, not. I still, I still walk all those old, you know, where we had to go on school runs. I still walk those. Um, when I go for a walk with my parents, we still walk those paths. I say, oh my god, it was so much bigger when I grew up. It felt so much bigger. Mm. It felt so much further, farther, whatever the word is. Um, but yeah, no, I'm not looking for old buildings or something which are not there anymore. Huh? So when the wall came down, were you at school? How did you find out? What was that actual day like? Do you remember it? Or was it a day like any other? Um, it was a Thursday night. Um, I came home with my dad from some sort of village meeting. Um people discussing what was happening um, and my mum said the wall had come down and we didn't quite believe it because it was not very um, realistic <laughs> um, but it did and um, the next day in school a lot of people were just not there um, I had to go to school unfortunately my parents didn't let me go off and then I had to go to school as well on a Saturday and there was really barely anyone there <laughs> And from that point on, was it very different? Or did normality return briefly before it started to change and dissolve? Mm, I think that the first days or weeks was, they were different because people kind of try to get to the West to just in case it all closes down again. Um, but from then on, it, it was still taking a year or so um, to unification. And before that, it was not like a massive shock because... Um, in, in, in the summer of 89, so many people had already left the country via Hungary and yeah. it, yeah, some, it, it was quite clear that something was happening, that it couldn't go on like that. The border was, was becoming a lot more porous, wasn't it? Yeah. People were sort of moving yeah. around and so, yeah. you know, as you know, have that. And when did you first go from east to west? On the, the next week, almost a week after. Um, what do you remember of that? Not much, actually, and I wasn't that impressed because we <laughs> <laughs> we just ended up in a in a weird part of Berlin, um, and there were no there were there were no um, fancy shopping centers. We found them much later. <laughs> um, I still we find you them. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> but we, I mean, we watched all those German West German um, TV shows, so yeah. we knew what Berlin looked like, West Berlin looked like, so. You just saw it in real life now. <laughs> Kudam.
And then do you spend your welcome money? How did you spend that? <laughs> How did you waste that? I didn't waste it. It was the best investment. Um, I, I bought a cassette player and um, Rod Stewart's um, Best Off. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, do you still have either? I do, actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, I still love Rod Stewart. <laughs> so that's a... No, thank you. Thank goodness to the West German government for <laughs> supporting the economy and having a piece of machinery. Still. I think no. I think not many people actually know about that. That that there was this kind of greeting money. Who gave that to you? Where did you get that from? Well, there was a sort of a rule. Um, people in East Germany could, um, like, retired people of East Germany could go to the West, like my yeah. grandma could go, and they would get a hundred Deutschmarks per year. Um, and could spend it, and then suddenly when the when the when the war came down, um, that rule applied to everyone. Yeah. So, so we were really um, queuing in front of banks who paid you <laughs> Deutschmarks. Deutschmarks come over. <laughs> Very nice system. Yeah. In terms of, you said you were a bit underwhelmed by the West. Uh, just the first day, yeah. Just first day. but then yeah. you went back to study at Humboldt. University yeah, yeah, in Berlin. yeah, yeah. I worked there. Yeah. And you mentioned to me that there was a culling of the professors. Yeah, but it was because um, I worked at the um, education faculty, and that was probably um, ideologically um, probably not um, desired anymore. <laughs> the, yeah. the, sort of ideology um, they were teaching um, future teachers um, so they were so West professors came in and took over and there was a big um, process uh, where they basically interviewed new professors for all those um, positions What happened to all these German professors? They Not many um, there was one which got her old job back, but apart from that, that was all um, new people from the West. So they say history is written by the victors, but also it looks like the future mm. was educated by them as, as, as well. Was that a shock? Did you realise at that point that, um, I'm not going to say that you lost, but you were the least dominant of the two parties in Germany, or the two sides? I think a lot of people felt like that. Um, and in, and at that place, most most certainly, um, people felt like they had lost. But it was more the older people. For me, it was again, um, it was so interesting because um, I was actually working with those people from the West. Um, I kind of got to know them, got to know them, and I I could see that they didn't have any special powers. Um, yeah. They only, you know, they they. They were normal, yeah, um, and a lot of them just encouraged me to to do well and learn languages and gave me lots of support. So for me, it was great. It's interesting. We both watched the film from Us to Me mm. about um, you know a group of people through the different ages. A fantastic film. Yeah, and it strikes me that some people embraced it. The, the change, rather. Mm. Um, some didn't or couldn't. Mm. And those that did tend to, you know, that were 
very much in favor of, let's say, the party beforehand, suddenly became very enamored with the new system, you know, the, the capitalist system thereafter. And if it basically says that if you, you know, if you're massively for something, you're going to be for either state or capitalism or whatever. Is that similar to your experience? Definitely. There were so many people um, who was who were um, who were so following the party line and yeah. then um, just adjusted very easily. And then there were other people, um, like a couple of teachers um, of mine, they were really, they were members of the party and they really believed in what the party said and it was, yeah, I, f- I felt sorry for them. Um, Why did you feel sorry? Because they had really lost their whole kind of view of the world, probably. Um, but, yeah, there were a lot of people who who found it much easier to adjust and were really, really happy to adjust. Um, but I guess that's why they were teachers, right? Mm. Because they really were mm. the acolytes of the party. Although a lot of people really, a lot of our teachers, um, probably more than half were just normal chemistry, biology, whatever teachers, the, the teachers who did um, Russian or civic education, those kind of things, they were more likely to be um, a bit more um, political. One wonders if you looked at a, a, a textbook for civic education mm. now, how probably it was... I still have them, actually. I still have them. Perhaps you can get some scans of some of those pages up on the, uh, up on the website. There. And when, when you look at them now, what, what, what do you think, what do you see? It's very interesting because um, we talk a lot, or they talked a lot about um, how 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 bad capitalism is, how people are being exploited, da 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 da. Um, but they didn't really um, say that people didn't live in um, kind of caves or they were not um, beaten up by their employers or something. Everyone yeah. lived quite quite well and. A lot, most people in the West lived quite, quite well. Um, so I think the pictures, they, they try to, well, or the the the, the stories they 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 try to tell us were just half truth. Yes. A lot of half truth. I've seen some of the um, learning English language mm. books. Some of the texts they used. You know, um, we're not only there to teach people English, but also to give them a message about the other side. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't so, remember that at all. You know, the capitalist landlord and the people live in poverty. And, and yeah, that's kind of, yeah, you know, exactly. That's kind of yeah. the message that underpinned yeah. it, as well as learning English. And then from, from Humboldt, you went out into the workplace and uh, you travelled the world and ended up uh, here in London. When you look back, go back, to, to that period in your mind, or you go back physically, what do you what do you see, what do you feel, what do you think? Um, f- well, I had a nice childhood. I I really had a happy childhood. I, I I was just not touched by all this. What would have probably have come later? All those um, things you have to be careful what you say to whom and um, because you were a child. Yeah, I I, I just wasn't. So do you think that made, because you weren't, as you say, touched by that, do you Mm. think it made the integration for you from Mm. one world to another easier? I think so, yeah, I think so. 
when you go back now, do you bump into any of those teachers? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely in the supermarket um, or I don't know, church sometimes. <laughs> do the civic education teachers? <laughs> yes, my Russian teacher. Yeah. And what, what do they do now? I wonder. All of them are retired now. Okay. Really, yeah. But a lot of them kept um, teaching, especially if it was something like English or yeah. biology or yeah. You had a picture of a. Tennis player. <laughs> Andrew Agassi, yeah. How do you hold that picture? I just sent it. You know, um, there was a youth um, magazine called Bravo. Yeah. In the West. Um, so the grandmas who got 100, 100 um, Deutschmarks, yeah. they would bring um, stuff for their um, grandchildren. I, and I always wanted to have a Bravo. Because um, <laughs> there were lots of stickers in there and you traded the posters in there yeah. and things like that. So... Um, and there were always addresses of the people where could could ask for autographs. Yeah. And I did ask for an autograph of Andrew Agassi. And I got <laughs> one. Got and it. I can't believe until today that they let that through. It's just unbelievable. Why would they not let that through? Because that's typical. One of the things they would not have let through because it's from the US. It came from the US. Okay. Even like, worse. Yeah. Yeah. And how often did your grand go over? Not that often. Maybe three times a year or so. Not that often. Did you give them shopping lists of what you wanted them to come back? I always wanted the same. I always wanted a bra. Bra mm. That was it. That was it. Other people wanted chocolate. You wanted yep. <laughs> And did you have any relatives in the West when you were in the East? Um, not very close relatives. Um, my mum's grandma was there, but um, I didn't actually really meet her. Or I was too young. She, she died when I was very young. Okay, so your mum's grandmother hmm. was over there okay and there was no your parents never left East Germany to go to the west no they were not allowed at all no because they were workers and they were too keen no. to, to no. let go did they did your parents talk about how Germany came to be divided or not no not really no would they talk about it now were no. they, they were always brought up, I guess, when were they born? Late 40s? 1950, yeah. Okay, so they so so were all the way East Germany, yeah. Okay. And when did they first go to the West? When did your parents first go to the West? On the Saturday. So I had to go to school. They went. And I had to go to school. Which, school? I, which I was really annoyed about. Were the only one in school? <laughs> Almost, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your parents, what did they think when they went over? Whatever was all interesting, right? Because um, they had never seen it. And then they came back. When they came back, right? Yeah. They weren't tempted to stay in the West. Or was I that think really so. an option? A lot of people, actually, younger people my age, a lot of people moved over, so they started apprenticeships or studied or did something. But yeah. not so many of the parents, because they all had houses. They had their whole lives were already there. It's a bit harder for them probably to move. What do you think you would have done had had, uh, had the CDR kept going? I really keep wondering what, because cause, um, I've always been... Um, You've had a very interesting life. you travelled the world. Exactly. Worked and done in, in interesting places, done interesting things. Yeah, so uh, that's why I'm... I don't know, I'm really glad I didn't have to find out. Because I wonder if if I... Would have tried to get out or not. But one wonders what you don't know you wouldn't miss? Or did you know that you were missing something? 
I think everything I miss has nothing to do with GDR. It's it's more like, you know, um, I had really nice friendships and so I like to go to school. I like to go to a music school and those kind of things. Um, they were easy, but it did not necessarily have anything to do with GDR, so no. Okay, I think we should probably stop there and let you have the rest of your evening back. Cool. Thank you very much indeed. No worries. Well, I hope you enjoyed our first Cold War contribution and special thanks to James for putting that together for the podcast. There's more information in the show notes at coldwarconversations.com slash the word episode and the number 67. If you like what you're listening to, you can really help us by leaving reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, our Facebook page or with your favourite podcast provider. This really helps to raise our profile and get new guests on the show. If you can't wait for the next episode, do visit our Facebook discussion group where our guests and listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. We're also on Twitter, at Cold War Pod. Just go to coldwarconversations.com and click on the Join the Conversation option. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye. Thanks for listening right through to the end. I really appreciate it. And maybe check out our store and see if you can find the ideal gift for the Cold War enthusiast in your life. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash store. Thanks for listening. Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, You'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.